are you going to also do your... <laughs> I'm thinking I'll do that at, some at the point. introduction. Oh, okay. <laughs> Listeners, welcome back to Last Film Standing, episode number 115, your conversational movie review and news podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Jones, and with me, trying to make that so desperate 911 call, trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat, and trying to decide where he's going to go for that wonderful break that takes place during the spring. The man, known only as... Z. And you're coming to recorded live March 19th, 2013 from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> yes, we are, we are flipping the script literally here, ladies and gentlemen. Trying to streamline a show... Cutting the corners, Battlestar Galactica style, you know, trying to make a uh, an already entertaining show take it to the next level. level. Yes, and on that same show today, we'll be talking about recent releases: The Call, the wonderful Burt, actually the incredible Burt Wonderstone, and Spring Breakers. Yes, and we'll also be discussing this week's plugs of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you just joining Last Film Standing for the very first time to be a part of the show, you can tweet at, at and follow myself on Twitter at Lamar Diablo. It's L-A-M-A-R Diablo. You can follow Zed here at Last Z Standing. Feel free to email us at feedback at lastfilmstanding.com. And of course, you can write on our Facebook fan page well at facebook.com slash lastfilmstanding. And so, listeners, without further ado... <laughs> Let's go, go to, to the, the movies. movies. Yeah, so the first movie on our uh, list today is The Call. Uh, made $17.1 million, and uh, it was directed by Brad Anderson, who directed Session 9 and The Machinist, uh, and uh, it's starring Halle Berry, uh, Evie Thompson, and Abigail Breslin. It was written by Richard... The video, who uh, has written also Exit Wounds and 13 Ghosts. And uh, the story is by also by Richard the video and Nicole the video, who uh, this is her first feature. And um, they work together with uh, John Bokenkamp, who worked on Taking Lives and Perfect Stranger. And um, basically, this is a story about a veteran operator, Jordan Turner, who receives a 911 call from a girl who has just been abducted. And uh, she then soon realizes that she must confront the killer from her past in order to save this girl's life. And... um, Basically, to me, from from seeing sort of the trailers, this seemed more like a kind of a standard uh, serial killer thriller, sort of a Silence of the Lambs, Sands, uh, Hannibal Lecter. Um, now, uh, you saw this film, Brandon. What did you? Uh, what do you think? How how did uh, how did it turn out in, <laughs> in full? Um, so yeah, you know, just as we were talking about. Uh, before we pressed record, um, you know <laughs> they don't know that. <laughs> yeah. the, so you know, <laughs> let's start from the beginning. The the call is not a movie that I was looking forward to uh, superficially because um, 
I don't really know why they chose that hairstyle for Miss Barry. Um, it's been sort of a weird thing that's been uh, happening the last few years, the choice of hairstyles for certain stars. Um, well, they're making her look just normal, natural, every everyday girl, you know. But it has like this V shape that reminds me more of like a Simpsons character, more so than like <laughs> an actual thing. Um, this is what bothered me about it. But, uh, but you know, it's, um, it's actually a really tight sort of thriller. Um, I think had it have been just a typical... Um, you know, it, it presents itself as, I guess you would say it's in the crime genre uh, kind of type thing. Um, what makes it different is that it takes place primarily in a 911 call center, which even as the premise of the movie, when we're watching trailers and as we're watching the movie, you're kind of like, oh, wow, I really don't know a lot about 911. Like, it's pretty much, you know, you have infinite stories about cops and detectives, firefighters, um, and like... But you don't really know who it is on the other end of the phone that's actually, you know, when you dial 911, that connects you to these people. Um, and the movie does a really cool job of setting up um, not only just the dramatic aspects of the story, but just the fact of, oh, this is what a 911 call center is actually responsible for. And Halle Berry's, um, she has a line in the movie where she's like, if 911 goes down, that's it. Because that's how people know and learn anything. Like, it's like, they're the people that kind of, they're listening to you. They either give you direct advice, they do things like, oh, okay, it sounds like you need animal patrol, it sounds like you need the fire department, it sounds like you need paramedics, et cetera, et cetera, and they actually dispatch those people. Mm -hmm. um, without that, you literally just have complete circumstance or complete coincidence that a cop or a firefighter or someone is happens by um, the scene of whatever it is that's going down. And that aspect is really cool. Uh, it does have a scene in the movie that like stops the entire movie to kind of be like, express a lot of this through a two or three minutes sort of exposition scene um, where uh, someone who's teaching new 911 callers is being told, like, is basically asking questions that you might think about, wouldn't have bothered you not to know, but it was just kind of interesting information. Um, the movie itself is actually, as I said before, it is kind of a cool type thriller. Uh, a lot of it is done sort of th through the point of view of the 911 caller. See, there is that tension of you aren't there, you can't physically help them, you really are just listening to this story sort of unfold. Um, and you kind of hope for the best, you hope that you're able to give the correct advice. Uh, there's a call that Halle Berry gets um, that kind of opens the movie where uh, the police are basically like, yeah, we're eight to ten minutes out and there's nothing you can do about it. You're, you know, you're sitting behind the phone hoping the police are going to get there. Um, there's just kind of interesting kind of aspects uh, to those people's lives and kind of what they what they actually deal with. Yeah. Um, it's got to be tough. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, I've listened to an interview uh, or read somewhere that um, Halle Berry was talking that uh, during the time researching this, she was actually kind of uh, at 911 call centers and kind of like sitting in on calls and like all the stuff and that she actually um at one point was that they actually were just listening to this rape happening on the other uh, side of the line and she said that that was just just incredibly disturbing sort of thing to have gone through to just kind of like be sit sitting there on the other side of the line and listen to yeah a rape happening yeah just kind of but yeah, I mean, it's got to be, uh, got to be an incredibly tough job. I mean, I I actually 
funny enough that we're discussing this because um, last night as I was going into work uh, it was the first time that I ever called 911 and it was uh, because of another person who had hurt themselves on, uh, on the sidewalk and uh, fell down and hurt himself and you know, might have like, had a broke in the bone or something so I ended up calling 911 for the first time so it's kind of fragile. interesting coincidence here. But anyway, so overall, kind of, um, does it, does the film succeed in that kind of premise to create this uh, this sort of like understanding and this kind of tension? Yeah, I mean, it does it really and... well, and it does it with uh, a cast that is actually very diverse. That happens to not be a Tyler Perry movie. Um, for those of you who have been listening to what um, the podcast for a while now, know my you know feelings on Tyler Perry and. To, if you were listening for the very first time, the short version is: I he respect his like hustle. <laughs> yeah, I respect his hustle, but I'm not a fan of how he has sort of diversified Hollywood by not diversified. I mean, actually I rather I would say segregated. Segregated. Yeah. Where now, whereas yeah. beforehand in the '90s and the early 2000s, we were seeing films that had a very diverse cast, but wasn't necessarily calling attention to it. Like you would have a black character, but they would get to make a big deal of where that black character was from. It was just kind of like, all right, cool, they cast the, the best actor for that role. Um, since he has become famous and kind of had his brand has expanded, what we're seeing in a lot of movies now, whether or not, you know, listeners, you're aware of this or not, are movies that are quote-unquote whitewashed, and then there's Tyler Perry movies. Um, which basically have all the black actors, with the exception of crossover people like Denzel, Don Cheadle, um, Anthony Mackie. Which um, are definitely not in Tyler Perry movies. Yeah, which aren't in Tyler Perry movies. And it's kind of one of those things where it's sort of a sad, tightrope affair because if their careers don't necessarily go the way that they should, um, basically just because the movies that are being greenlit just aren't necessarily for them, um, the only place you can really fall back is a Tyler Perry movie and he really, it would be one thing if he had a very diverse uh, genre kind of filmography, but he tends to make these movies that are very, you know, they're successful, but they kind of are these family-oriented um, kind of family issues or, um, can't think of what the word is, but they're just, they're, they're, dram they're dramas, you know, and they're kind of made, it reminds me a lot of the... Uh, so like relationship dramas. Yeah, relationship stuff. type of stuff. And so, you know, and they're... As I said before, you know, we're not their demographic. Um, it's more for, I would, I would say, the Oprah crowd. Um, uh, so it's kind of like, you know, it, it works, but it's just, it's sad to see Hollywood seemingly go, oh, okay, well, we don't have to green light, green light these types of movies because Tyler Perry kind of has that. Because you know, Tyler Perry market. evens out the, yeah. the odds. But, I mean, uh, in a way, like, I, I like the fact that through what he's doing, there's maybe being a little more um, attention called to it yeah um, to diversification but as I said like I don't know like um, that the answer to whitewashed movies are blackwashed movies yeah. <laughs> in a way no, exactly. for, yeah. for lack of a better terminology you know so <laughs> it's like I, I think on the other side if he was integrating um, a more diverse casts he would be then the example of this is what you can do yeah. with a diverse cast yeah. versus, well, you guys are going to do this, I'm going to do the opposite. 
and then you just have that whole standoff thing. Um, but, you know, as we say, like, we we kind of, like, call that out all the time, and, yeah. and we're, we're kind of upset at, at how the, the films are sort of, you know, yeah. really cast. And even, you know, it's, it's, it's still ongoing. It's just not, you know, it's kind of not really getting that much better, you know. Yeah. And, you know, with this movie, um, again, like, it has, you know, Halle Berry's lead, Morris Chestnut um, is the male lead, um, and there's a couple people in the call center that she works with that are also minorities, and then really the people who are kind of in distress, Abigail Breslin, um, and uh, the guy who plays the, um, I guess the abductor uh, is white. So it was just, it was, it was kind of an interesting like it seemed fresh but it was kind of like a you know it is 2013 sort of casting sort of sort of situation it's also so kind of a, uh, an interesting sort of reversal yeah. of that what, what sort of like happened? good and bad kind of usually the usually the minorities are portrayed as like the the sort of the bad guys yeah. uh, in a lot of action films and stuff like that it's always the guy who has like some kind of a weird accent or yeah. you know looks <laughs> some kind of a different shade you know the guy still still uh, fuming from the cold war yeah he's, he's he's the bad guy kind of thing versus um, this yeah. is sort of just kind of the and uh, you know the movie it, it has actually a an ending that I don't think a lot of people are going to expect um which is kind of like one of those where it's like, okay, cool. So it's a little a bit handled, sort of strange, but it was good. Um, the where the movie is sort of drawing the most uh, critical attention, um, all the scenes, <clears throat> pretty much for the first, I would say, two thirds to three quarters of the movie take place within the nine one one call center, uh, with kind of cuts outward um, to what is actually happening in the real world. And when it gets outside of the call center, what the things that start to happen are you doubt the... You start to question the due diligence of the police that exist in this universe. Um, there are a couple times where it's like as the figurine clues out and as the, these things are happening, they go to a certain location and then they all leave a location. Um, not to compare it necessarily to TV. Uh, I've been watching the following um, for the last few weeks and... As, uh, to give you a quick, quick synopsis to kind of make this point, um, basically there is a serial killer who was in jail, he breaks out of jail, and the woman who was his ex-wife, there are police there, like 50 or 60 She's cops, they're just in the house. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, was his wife. Um, who was not his ex-wife. But, like, the, um, basically, like, the, the, all these cops just, they're in her house for, like, what seems almost needless, because it's like, why do you need 50 or 60 cops? Don't you have an office for this? But they're just always in the house. And what ends up happening in this movie is it's like, so they go to this location where they think that he's supposed to be, um, and then they all leave. And then you see scenes where the police have gone, where, like, things are kind of still unfolding, and it's kind of like, well, wouldn't there still be cops there to, like, wait to see if he went? But, like, it was just, like, quite one of those things where, like, the, the part of the movie, that Suspension of Disbelief, starts to, like, fracture a little bit. It doesn't break completely, but you start having those thoughts where you're just like, yeah, but would cops really... Like, that kind of thing that you shouldn't be doing um, in a movie that, you know, has this kind of suspense level to it. So you, you feel like it kind of sets up a certain kind of universe in the first part of the movie, and then it kind of uh, steps on that a little bit in the, towards the end of it? Is that... 
Yeah, and I can't it. tell if that's because the movie, for the most part, does take place in real time. Like, it is kind of, like, over um, more or less a few hours to, like, an afternoon-evening kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of like, all right, well, maybe they would have sent people back. Would they not have sent people back? Like, just one of those things where it just makes you doubt it enough. Um, it's not enough to kind of really tank the movie or pull you completely out of it, but it is one of those things that you'll kind of be... If you were, if you're one of those people who shouldn't be talking during the movie, that would be one of the points where you turn to your whoever and kind of comment, "Oh, would they really, you know, have missed that kind of thing?" Um, but overall, I mean, I really enjoyed myself. Um, as I said, started this with, you know, I wasn't really expecting much from this movie, but it is a really sort of tight thriller. Um, I, you know, so overall, it worked out overall better worked than out. you expected. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about grades? Uh, what, what, where would you rate it on our zero to five star scale? <laughs> uh, I put it in the uh, three and a half out of five. Um, it so is just it is above average. Yeah, it is above average. Um, however, it is one of those movies, as we've talked about endlessly, that we just won't remember that we ever saw. Kind of in a few weeks' time. Um, and there's even you know when we so usually it's not a film that's kind of like gonna stand the test of time in years down the road. Yeah. Kind of be like, oh yeah, remember the call? One of my uh, one of my friends, uh, I'll shout him out, um, Muhammad, in Atlanta. Uh, he he brought up the point because I was kind of talking to him with this movie, and this is something that I'll probably you know say with some of these movies uh, going forward. He goes, oh, okay, the rating, that's all fine. Is it worth? paying a full price in New York to take a date to. And I was like silent for that's a second. Good, considering yeah. Yeah. That, that, that the full price <laughs> yeah. in New York is like $14, yeah. so that's, yeah. that's about $30 for but, just the movie. Exactly. And I sat there for a second and I was like, no. This is a cool movie to like, <laughs> you know, rent on Netflix, make your significant other like dinner, just sit down, chill, enjoy like a really cool movie, but should you pay full price even to go watch if you're, this? If you're trying to yeah. give your significant other a little bit of a heart attack with a thriller. Exactly. Um, but, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, as, as you know, listeners, this is a uh, podcast for people post-movie who aren't opening weekend things. Yeah, I think I, I think this is kind of one of those movies that would have been cool to have, have watched with the crowd. Um, okay. So that's, that's my, my two cents on it. That's cool. And so... We go from a movie that was impressive to a movie that was incredible. <laughs> the incredible Burt Wonderstone. Um, uh, we're back to doing, <laughs> doing uh, segues. Pulled in uh, 10.9 million plus. Um, for those of you who do follow the trades, it was a week weekend for box office and Oz is still dominating, but uh, Burt Wonderstone. Um, Directed by Don Scardino, uh, who's really, he's done a lot of TV stuff. Um, apparently he's an Academy Award-winning director. Of short films. Of short films. Um, his one feature previous to this was Advice from a Caterpillar. He's done so much TV work, like dozens and dozens of yeah. TV shows. Oh, name, name a TV show, it looks like yeah. he's directed it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, stars Steve Carell, Steve Buscemi, uh, Alan Arkin, Olivia Wilde, Jim Carrey, and James Gandolfini. And then this script was written by Jonathan M. Goldstein, who uh, wrote our favorite comedy probably of the last five or six years, uh, for the last quite a while, Horrible Bosses. And then um, John Francis Daly, who's also a co-writer with him on that. And then the story was by Chad Colton, his first feature, Tyler Mitchell, his first feature, and then the pair uh, who wrote the actual screenplay, Jonathan M. Goldstein and John. 
Francis Lilly I mentioned before. Uh, the Incredible Burt Wonderstone, basically, is a movie about a street magician. Um, his stunt starts to look stale, and so the superstar magicians, Burt Wonderstone and Anton Marbleton, took... They basically take their salvage, uh, this is a terribly written synopsis, I'm not even going to pretend to word around this, terribly written synopsis by IMDb, which even as I remember referencing that is not uh, the greatest, but basically two very high profile headliners for Bally's in Vegas uh, basically have a falling out and now they are looking to search the world in solo and perhaps their friendship will rekindle by the end of the movie. Now, <laughs> You saw this movie, Z. Uh, does it do? You, do you get a sense like you know? We really enjoyed the horrible bosses. Um, you've mentioned a few times that you know uh, you give Steve Carell sort of the the benefit of the doubt now. Uh, does that still stand? Having seen this movie, or are you kind of grain of salt going forward? Yeah, no. I mean, it still stands. I I, I think he's one of those one of the few people that were. Um, I mean, I tend to often put a snap judgment on the movie. Like, I'll see kind of, like, what the trailer says, and I'll kind of look at the the idea behind the movie, and often I'll just go, nah, that's just... Especially with comedies, I'm kind of a, yeah. a really tough person to sort of uh, make laugh as far as, like, the movies go, you know? Um, so... So, so I kind of, you know, um, I remember when he first came out with The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and I remember thinking, that's just a terrible premise for a movie. It just kind of, like, really is, like, uh, felt like they were kind of trying to, to catch up, catch in, cash in on this kind of, like, uh, type of comedy that I'm just not, that I could care less about. Um, but then I saw it, and I was just like, wow, you know, Steve Carell just somehow manages to pull this off. Like, he somehow succeeds to to take these characters, which could really be taken into these kind of questionable uh, taste scenarios, and somehow make them really um, um, sort of relatable. Yeah. And, and even with this, I think this is probably the furthest he's kind of pushing a character um, in Burt Wonderstone. It, you know, he kind of creates this character who's like... We see the opening of the film, and then kind of we see, like, they make it big, and then we see kind of ten years later. And uh, that's the point where he's, like, completely lost touch with reality, and he lives in this kind of world of like Umbert Wonderstone like and um <laughs> and it's really it really takes a little bit to to sort of relate to him it takes some time but then when you do he just kind of redeems himself really nicely and, and that's a skill that um that um Steve Carell just possesses somehow um yeah to create these characters that you don't end up just hating purely, yeah. but you can see why people are annoyed or, or, or you know, kind of uh, try to avoid them. Um, yeah, to your, to your point about him being relatable, like, he definitely, like, somehow manages to, as sort of obnoxious as his character is introduced as, and even when he's kind of doing these sort of despicable things to other people, he does kind of, like, he keeps his, like, pinky finger on that, like, part where it's just like but you don't hate me completely 
Like it's just it's it's weird because he he does that. Um, because I mean, there's also this expectation that he's gonna redeem himself at some point. I think there's yeah. part of that yeah. with it because if you didn't know that, if you didn't sort of know him from his previous films, yeah. he brought that kind of knowledge with you. Um, and and then when he does, it's really kind of sincere. Yeah, and he just really kind of all. It's it, he has this ability to play this kind of like cartoonish character, and then have these moments where like that kind of drops off, and he just kind of like talks and opens up, and and then you see sort of the character beneath, and you're like, oh, okay, there's a real person behind this. Yeah, and I think that's sort of that back and forth. Yeah, that he's capable of doing. Yeah, him. Uh, what do you think of? Jim Carrey as sort of the uh, Chris Angel type, like it, it was one of those things where it was it was yeah. a little over the top for, yeah. for my taste for the most part. Like that, he was just like way out there, and 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 there were some moments where I really laughed, but I don't think it was like mostly the the moments that he did. But you know what, you <laughs> kind of needed this sort of cartoonish villain character yeah a little bit sort know. of sort of a foil to his uh traditional magic versus yeah. the chris angel style <laughs> stuff um and and david blaine yeah that kind of magician. i mean it works though i mean it's, it's one of those things where i mean I've, I've always sort of been on the fence of jim carrey comedies uh i actually am really looking forward to uh his portrayal of kick ass too um, that looks pretty cool i mean from yeah. from the trailers and yeah. stuff um, and just kind of like Jim Carrey is one of those people where uh, <clears throat> I really liked Liar Liar, I really liked uh, Fun with Dick and Jane, and I um, really liked you know the movie that I think a lot of people kind of came together on with the Truman Show. But then like a lot of his earlier comedies that I feel are more in the vein of In Living Color, I Ace wasn't Ventura. really a fan of. Yeah, Ace Ventura was kind of like. The first one was entertaining. I could, I could definitely say that I was probably too young to really grasp like that humor. Like it was the, as the cartoon aspect of it, I found it funny. But of what was actually happening, yeah. probably just went completely over my head. Um, I, I mean, I remember watching that. Um, I was in Germany at the time, and I remember watching that movie. And I think what really appealed to me about it is that he was different. Yeah, it was something. Um, you know, like you, you didn't really see a lot of that comedy happening, and uh, you know, with me, uh, it I tend to really gravitate towards things that kind of come at me out of left field. I like things that 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 change sort of the status quo, and and that's kind of like with movies with me. Uh, my favorite movies are the ones that that are different from sort of the pack because. You know, we see so many films, and it's like after a while it all runs together. And when a movie comes out that kind of stands out, like Stoker or something like that, it's really impressive. And then that that's what I gravitate towards. And Ace Ventura, when it first came out, it was different. You didn't really have a lot of that comedy happening. And when what, the way, especially the way he did it. And then, you know, kind of it got a little bit tiresome as, as then he kind of went on to play that similar character or kind of like the the guy who does the crazy things um would you say that jim carrey was the eminem of comedy <laughs> <laughs> um 
Yeah, I mean, in a way, even though Eminem really never got old, like, yeah. you know, like Eminem is still really yeah, good. Still, like yeah. he, he just has a, I mean, even if you don't care about his lyrics or anything, just his phrasing is yeah. just off the charts. The guy just, Are there like, actual... you can just listen to him, like, yeah. you know, like we uh, rap the cookbook and it would be interesting, I think, because yeah. Like, feels like he kind of I mean do you, do you think that comedic actors then like I mean I, I could see Steve Carell kind of answering the question we're about to ask you but like do you think there are actually comedic actors who have full careers in comedy or do you think most people go the way of say like a Chevy Chase where it's like you had your awesome era like the Pauly Shores the, all these people who are like you were hilarious for like seven eight nine movies and then for some reason your brand of comedy just stopped like, I, f- I feel like people look to maybe Bill Murray as that, but I, I mean, I never found him well, hilarious. Well, he also, had, he, like, he has he also dramatic... had some dramatic roles yeah. and stuff like that. He's kind of like, if you're talking about somebody who stays, like, purely within comedy, uh, yeah, it's tough to do. I mean, even even um, Jim Carrey has kind of stepped out of it with, like, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and even a little bit with The Truman Show, where it's kind of like that... Uh, balance of like comedy and drama um you know so so i don't know i mean i I guess it's kind of tough to to push one type of comedy for your entire career you know people change people uh, you know the world around us changes and and you know i think people get tired of the same thing yeah, I think a real... And I don't think that's just comedy. That, yeah. That's everything. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, action has changed. Yeah. You know, stuff that, that that worked in the 80s, while now there's a little bit of a resurgence of these sort of older actors, um, when you look at the movies in the 80s, and then you look at the action movies now, uh, the action movies now are still required to have a little bit higher sense of story. Yeah. Like, you know, there's always that kind of niche um, sort of, like, crank and stuff like that where it doesn't matter. But even, like, Jason Statham movies, uh, you know, like, the ones that are probably a little more successful, um, you know, they, they have a little bit more of a, a built-in story, kind of just a little bit more yeah. of a character development uh, based in more reality. And, and I think the genres change like that. I think the biggest sort of answer to that question will be how Anchorman 2 does. Like, not so much opening weekend because of the sort of anticipation of it, but how it does, you know, that second week, that third week. Because, you know, I, I know there are definitely Will Ferrell fans, you know, um, you know I'm a Paul Rudd fan. Um, all of those people were relative, you know, I would say niche unknown sort of, when that first movie came out, with the exception of Will Ferrell. And all those people now are like they, yeah, they leave Steve their own rules. Yeah. Steve Carell was basically just off of like the Daily Show, I yeah. think, during yeah. that time, you know. And like all those people, they're lead actors now. They've been kind of in and out of you know the spectrum as far as comedies and dramas or TV appearances and such. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that movie is actually really really funny. Um, still. You know, it'll because yeah. it, it, it's presumably going to be you know probably the, the equivalent of I mean, Hangover to Hangover. You know, uh, for me, Anchorman was entertaining, but like um, I wasn't like laughing out loud. I have to say, like I, I'd have to rewatch it again, you know, just to kind of get a sense. I saw it once, and you know, I I guess 
I don't know. I just it didn't really like fully click with me, and maybe you know, I I think comedy's just so like fragile. You know, it, it really like just a little bit of a mood can can totally change your perception of it. Like you know, if you're just I guess in the right state of mind to 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 accept something, or maybe just you know, like your mood is in. Better today yeah. than it is yesterday. <laughs> you might see a see a movie and just enjoy it completely differently. Like Zoolander, kind of on paper, doesn't seem like a movie that would appeal to me, but I just found that movie hysterically funny when I saw it in the movie theaters. And I don't know why. It just clicked, and maybe it was just the right day, the right yeah. moment, you know. Um, and I think that's an issue with comedy too. It can, at least for me, I feel like uh, it can kind of just fall by the wayside and just kind of drop dead and it's not necessarily the fault of like what these people are doing it's just may just be the wrong moment for me to see it you know and it's yeah. kind of tough um with this you know the incredible bird wonderstone um you know it's 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 okay it's it's a decent solid movie i i enjoyed it and i definitely had some laughs at it to be honest, one of my favorite people in this was Olivia Wilde. Yeah, I was going to really like her. Yeah. She's just yeah. so good, you know? And she has that same kind of ability to play really drama or comedy and just like she seems to have a certain fearlessness uh, and just kind of, you know, I, I really, really liked her in this. I was just really blown away by her. Um, you know, she just fully kept pace with all these people who are kind of veterans in this uh, this kind of comedy business and stuff yeah. like that and just did not like you didn't feel like she was kind of trailing them in any way shape or form she was just like right on the ball with everybody and um, it was really cool um, I mean I definitely did have some laugh out loud moments in this movie and uh, it was really cool um, I I have to say, one thing that really kind of, um, I think, would have put this movie totally over the top for me would have been if, if uh, for sort of that kind of, like, um, final illusion that, that's kind of happening and everything. While it's kind of an int a cool idea, it was a little kind of hokey at the same time. <laughs> Um, I think what would have been really awesome is if they had designed a really cool... Because I know that, that they worked uh, with David Copperfield, who has a cameo in this. And he's been kind of consulting on a lot of certain magic movies right now. Um, there's also the Now You See Me upcoming yeah. movie with Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, since they had, you know, this guy there... Um, I wish they had done like this kind of really awesome illusion and had showed it to us in like a single take kind of thing. Like, just like kind of set it up, we watch it in single take, and we're just amazed and blown away that this just happened. And that's kind of like how the audience feels, and that's how we would then kind of get the feeling but with this kind of we saw this um sort of behind the scenes kind of set up and all this stuff and then it's kind of like it's a little bit of a joke but not good enough i think for 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 me to, to like you know 
say like that was totally worth it you know well I think the like, issue is that I wish it would have been just kind of that like moment yeah. where, where at the end I'm like wow that was awesome like how did they do this and and they don't even need to show me you know kind yeah. of thing they could have been like oh I have this idea and then you kind of see them like doing things and like setting things up and then they do this illusion and then it's just kind of like well, I mean, the problem is that they the rest of the magic that is in the movie is actually, it's not, I'm not going to go as far as to say it's impossible, but it's heavily assisted by CG in this movie. And so what ends up happening is like the giant I think only a, a few things are. Well, with like the, um, uh, when Olivia Wilde does her first joke and there's the butterfly thing and like when Arkin slams the thing on the table and like a dove and stuff like that like those it's like, are the only two but like they do a lot of other stuff that's like happening and and you know the whole like butterfly thing i'm not even sure that you know that's not like something that no i'm you, saying i'm not saying it's not possible would, yeah would i'm not saying it's, it's doing. yeah the the song the thing is is definitely is yeah but like um because a lot of the ways that everything was sort of presented in the movie wasn't presented in a fashion where it was sort of like to your point where it was like okay we watched it on film in one take and there's like if you were to rewind it like could we see it sort of like the pen and teller thing that you showed me um but it's just like it was one of those things where like pen and teller fooled me yeah it was one of those things where, like, they presented it more for the sake of, you know, a comedy, but then when they get to the grand illusion in the finale of the film, it's presented as, we could actually do this kind of thing, versus they No, probably... I, I disagree. I disagree. It's presented as in a joke, because you couldn't do that. Ethically. You could literally do that, though. No, no, you couldn't. You, you, could. would, get, <laughs> you would get sued to fucking hell for that. Exactly, because it's it's actually a tangible illusion versus, to your point, doing something... No, no, something, no, but, but there's... No, 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 listen. Um, you can literally do that. No, legally you, can, you can't do that. Of course not. Of course not, but you can literally do it. So you what I'm could. Saying, the chance that somebody in the audience would die is, is, is astronomical. very high. But like, Someone would every yeah. single show. But what I'm saying is that there's not the like That's the problem. A, like, you can't... Yeah. But so, 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 for all intents and purposes you can't do that without ending in jail so let, let's just let's just assume that if you're gonna end up in jail for uh, for life for something you can't do that let's just assume those two equal each other okay so what i'm saying is set up a real illusion and you know we've seen that stuff yeah. uh, being done like we've seen like Talk about David Copperfield. I, I remember as a kid watching his like specials on TV where he makes the Statue of Liberty disappear. Yeah. He makes, uh, you know, he walks through uh, the, the Great Wall of China. Uh, he does like all these like insane illusions and it looks cool and it's great. And it's just like, how does he do it? Um, so set up something like that where we can watch it basically kind of in real time happen and then we can kind of like and that can be part of the promotion for the film where you have this kind of idea where they can then talk about in their promotional stuff in their interviews like you know we actually did this real illusion for an audience and for the it's cameras a different movie, though. and you saw it. it it doesn't have to be it's, it's a, different it's, movie it's a funny yeah. movie enough, yeah. and that last joke isn't fun. Like that, 
the ending it's is not funny yeah. enough yeah. for it to be kind of like, okay, this was really funny, so like this yeah. was worth it. If you do this, like it still stays the same movie. It just does something also impressive at the end where you're kind of like... Because I think at the same time, while this is a comedy, it's also a movie, um, you know about a lot of things but but let's yeah. let's kind of boil it down to like sort of the lowest denominator it's also a movie that that's about magic in its way and also maybe like inspiring sort of people to maybe think about it you know yeah i mean i would say like more i think of what you're thinking of is a movie that would be having the distance between this and the prestige but like with with this no though, see i you i think you think all of a sudden it's it has to be serious what I'm saying is that what you are expecting would not fit dramatically within this movie. I agree with you that it would have been cool to have seen that, but the way that the story is presented, they wanted something that, even though this is the last trick that they have, is not so much a giant laugh until they figure out how it's revealed sort of thing. But I think if they were to do something that was sort of that long take sort of magic thing, it would be cool to see it would be different than what the magic that we've seen in this movie is like now had it have been more of a but they had plenty of like illusions in this movie that we kind of like get a glimpse behind the scenes and we kind of like okay yeah so they're doing like these illusions of like this and that like the hanging uh the hangman thing and then the but i would say that this movie is less about i I would say this movie is to magic what zoolander is to modeling where i wouldn't say anyone who watched zoolander would go oh okay like i'm curious about modeling it's kind of like oh okay this is like a joke or a parody or satire on the modeling industry whereas this is kind of like oh okay like this is you know i've heard of chris angel that's who i guess jim carrey so it's like that kind of aspect whereas if you took a movie literally the same premise and the tone was a little bit more serious you could have had like a kid that was Burt Wonderstone when he was a kid that was really like I love magic this is awesome have him get to the same rise fall rise type of story I I wouldn't I wouldn't equate this to magic as as Zoolander to modeling because Zoolander really just makes fun of modeling it never really kind of has any redeeming quality as a profession really in this, I think uh, the magicians, as as sort of like people and professionals and everything, are very kind of like redeemable people, uh, and 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 sympathetic and and sort of like something that that's in a way still cool, even though there is this aspect of it that's like ridiculous. But they also kind of are like, yeah, there's also like, it's also really awesome, you know. So, where do you give this movie uh, overall? I think overall, um, I, I would go with where you went with the call. I would, I would do like three and a half stars. I think, you know, uh, it's, it's a solid comedy, maybe sort of like inching towards four, but I wouldn't go that far. Like, I, you know, I don't think it's that good. I think it's fun. It's entertaining. You know, it's definitely worth going to the movies for, you know, if you're kind of fan of uh, Steve Carell especially. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny movie if you want to see a comedy, but, uh, you know, three and a half, I think is probably a good sort of rating for this. How about you? Uh, I gave it a three. Like it was kind of, it was better than I was expecting, but mainly because I was expecting like a half a star kind of 
I think once the movie did open up into that sort of semi-hardwalling kind of I need to rediscover why I wanted to do this type of movie um I was I liked it how definitely it's, gains a, a lot yeah, of attraction like there. I like how it's how that story is told inside of the world of magic which I to my knowledge really hasn't been done or hasn't been done recently sort of thing or even comedically um, but I just thought it was handled really well to that regard. But then kind of, once everything's wrapped up and everything, it's like, oh, it's a cool, sort of heartwarming thing. But uh, to my friend's point, like, I probably wouldn't spend the 20 plus dollars on the experience of watching this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't feel like, you know, kind of ripped off after watching this. I, I was entertained. As I said, I definitely had some loud moments here. Um... You know, I, I I don't necessarily think that this is like a cult uh, status. Maybe amongst the magic uh, magician crowd, you know, maybe uh, Neil Patrick Harris and uh, uh, you know some of his uh, magician buddies are gonna enjoy this. But uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was fun. I I do have a certain fascination with magic, anyways. Though it's kind of cool. I just find it like really interesting and intriguing especially sort of the close-up kind um the card tricks and that kind of stuff um, but yeah yeah so um but then 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 it was time to take a little uh time off and 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 uh, kick back relax and enjoy uh that one week uh during spring Maybe go down to Florida, party a little, because it's spring break. He tried. Uh, this <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because you did so much better. <laughs> what did you call the cell? Awesome for, to incredible or yeah. something? Three and a half stars. Awesome. Until we, um, until we dropped the call. So, um, so now, then we go to, uh, as I said, Spring Breakers, um, opened on only three screens and made 263 plus thousand. Uh, that's, you know, pretty good. Pretty damn good for three screens. Uh, had a really high, uh, I think, per screen uh, rating, yeah. as uh, you mentioned. Um, yeah, it so. may actually even hold a record for, um, I would have to double check that, but I think it actually did, did break records for that amount of money on that few screens. Yeah. So um, it was directed by Harmony Korine, who uh, is known for Dumbo and the Fourth Dimension, and it's starring a slew of sort of uh, teeny uh, stars like Vanessa Hudgens and Selena Go Gomez and uh, Ashley Benson, and then it has James Franco in it. Uh, and it was uh, also written by uh, Harmony Kareen, who uh, wrote Kids, just in case you guys don't remember that movie. It was uh, from the 90s, uh, mid-90s. Uh, uh, one of the first things that, like, Rosario Dawson was in that, stuff like that it was uh, a hardcore movie about like kids in, in New York and stuff like that yeah. uh, but this one Spring Breakers uh, is a story of uh, four college girls who land in jail after robbing a restaurant in order to fund their spring break vacation uh, they uh, 
they find themselves bailed out by a drug and arms dealer who wants them to do some dirty work for him. Um, so, uh, you know, this film was kind of, uh, there's a lot of talk about this film. Um, you know, the trailers kind of don't really say, uh, show you too much, except for, you know, James Franco and, like, this crazy get-up uh, as the drug dealer. And then these kind of, like, uh, you know, kind of teeny stars and sort of being... Um, <laughs> shown more or less kind of to the audience to the to the drool of the male sort of audience and and there's a lot of talk how this film was intended if it was you know intended satirically sort of as a as a kind of a um, satirical view of of our culture and things mm -hmm. like that but um yeah. you know what did you think you saw this film um i actually didn't have a chance but um how did you feel about this um does it succeed in whatever it is that it intends to do? I have a feeling that I don't know. We, we've done the podcast now for two years. Uh, there is one episode where Z and I actually gave a movie 5 out of 5 for Cloud Atlas. Uh, I know that I have never said what I'm about to say about a movie and I wonder <laughs> if we will ever get a chance to say it again this is the first movie that I would full on defend and stand behind that I would actually classify as a masterpiece really this movie is I might have to catch this movie next I'm week. going to go see this again like, this movie is, like, wow. ridiculously good, and it's more of... I had not seen a single trailer. I did not know what this movie was about. I saw, like, a, a teaser trailer for it, basically, that really doesn't show you anything except, like, a, a quick shot. I can shot imagine that's like how they probably, Cole. yeah. And there's a guy at work who was like, oh, like, uh, he knows we do the podcast. Um, shout out to John if you're listening. Uh, and he was basically just like, are you, he's like, are you going to watch Spring Breakers this weekend? And I was like, I don't know what that is. Uh, and I was just like, but I'm assuming it's just going to be, you know, kids on Spring Break and something probably happens. And he, goes, <laughs> and he goes, well, it seems like it's a little deeper than that. Um, and he just kind of like reflected on that for a second. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So I like made sure to like find a time that I could go watch it. Um, and the thing about this movie, it reminded me a lot of, American History X. And for those of you who haven't seen that movie... Wow, that's a, that's a big statement. Yeah. American History X is such a yeah. good, iconic movie. For those of you who have not seen uh, American History X, um, the very, very kind of broad strokes version is that it's basically about a quote-unquote sort of skinhead who kind of gets more or less like reformed and he's trying to kind of impart that onto uh, his younger brother. I think, yeah, it was kind of a skinhead who ends up in jail yeah. and kind of learns. Yeah, that there's, there's kind of more, there. more than his point of view sort of thing. Um, I kind of historically, uh, I think he's heard the story a few times, a few other friends and such, um, watched the opening to the movie, first 30 minutes, 45 minutes, left and went to work and was just like, I can't believe people really like this movie, speak highly of it, only having seen the part of the movie where he was very, uh, basically just like completely like, you know, Edward Norton's character is still sort of a hardcore racist type of person. 
didn't watch the movie for like another year, year and a half, finally sat down and watched from beginning to end, and was just like, oh wow, like the character arc in this, et cetera, et cetera, everything was awesome. Spring Breakers is going to put a lot of people off, I would say, for the first 30 minutes of the movie, because the movie even opens up to like a dubstep song that like I had on my, you know, uh, iPhone, and all buzz it does, marketing, yeah, buzz marketing. all it does for like a good 60 seconds, two minutes, is it's just topless girls dancing, people doing keg stands, all this stuff. And I remember sitting there just being like, man, like, this would be weird if I, like, had brought someone to watch this movie. Like, and then it's just that for so long. You start to feel sort of uncomfortable. And I was watching with all these, like, older guys. And I was like, why is everyone here at 10 a.m.? Is this why they're here at 10 a.m.? Like, this is making me, like, just feel weird. And then it kind of cuts into, and you see these, like, four girls, and it's starting to get, like, wow, these are, like, the girls that you hate, because you're just, like, they're not privileged, but they just have no sense of whatever, and everyone thinking in my head, oh, this is, like, this is what kids are today. Like, not not financially maybe privileged, but, like, socially. Like, like, Like it's, like, you don't really have issues and all that stuff. Um, It was just one of those things where it's just, like, yeah, you don't understand consequences, nothing real has happened to you yet. And this movie starts to, like, slowly get into, like, layer after layer after layer of these people. Um, and I'm going to, like, there's there's a, this scene takes place, like, very early in the movie. Um, uh, it's not so much a spoiler. I just want to talk about the execution of it. Uh, there's a long take in this movie that definitely is, like, top five long takes of all time. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, like... It's, it's this robbery that sort of happens um, with these characters, and literally it's just characters jump out, they run in, and it's all from the point of view of the camera sitting in the passenger seat, and the person just drives around the restaurant really slowly, and every time you pass a window, action is happening in that window with the people who are inside. And they do this like three or four times, like, this is like screaming and all this stuff like they're like waving guns and blah 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 and then as soon as they get back to where they park they run straight out jump into like the car and they leave and I was just like crazy like I was just like I wonder how many times did that take just awesome awesome um and the movie some of the reviews that I did read uh they were just like oh yeah this movie recycles a lot of what has already happened Basically, what they mean by that, the movie, there there are times where the movie has a voiceover, there are times when uh, there are characters talking, and they replay it sort of over and over, like three or four times either right close succession, or later on in the movie, or kind of throughout the movie, Um, and you start to get, and it's just weird, because I remember thinking about this, like halfway through the movie, like, the movie starts to feel like you're experiencing a point of view versus you're actually watching a narrative film. Like, I would almost wager that this is as experimental as a narrative film can get with still having, like, a this happens and then this happens and then this happens to it, but it just has this execution to it, just visual style, just with the sound designs, all these different things that just were crazy. Um, I also think that this is the movie that savages wanted to be with the way that um that movie sort of ended in that kind of tone and what this movie really just exists inside of and to a certain extent 
what uh, Sucker Punch wanted to be with just sort of like fantasy versus reality type of things. Um, this movie just pulls it off in spades. Uh, the one thing that I will also say that like what cracks me up because I will never forget podcast episode one and podcast episode two is Z ripping into uh, Mark Wahlberg for the first episode <laughs> no, and then for the first episode yeah and then the, the second, second one kind of like completely you know yeah just be like you know he's not really not that bad last week I completely I would say not as bad as he but I, I definitely went out there with James Franco I don't wow. get him like yeah like I don't get his thing wow like he had like Heath Ledger Joker like charisma on screen in this movie like, it was just, like, every time he was on screen, I just got, like, it was just, like, so, cat. I was just, like, wow. Like, I was, like, it, it made me think of the Matthew McConaughey them, thing. Them being, yeah. like, completely underutilized. Yeah, like, I was, like, it, it made me think of the Matthew McConaughey thing where it was just, like, I just don't think people know what to do with him. And I remember reading an article where there was a guy, uh, I think it was even for 127 Hours, where Danny Boyle was, like, he met with him. And he was just like, oh, James Franco seems like an asshole. He just sat in the corner, didn't really say anything. Like, one-word answers, like, I thought he was high, all this stuff. And, you know, Boyle said he got the, you know, performance and stuff that he wanted from him. But, like, his, I think, uh, Franco's agent had to be like, that's just who he is, like, outside of movies and, like, all this, whatever stuff, that's who he is behind clothes. So he's just a really, like, quiet person, doesn't really, like, have wide-spectrum reactions to stuff and all this stuff. And, like... This movie, like, it's, like, you could, he just felt like he was having so much fun, and this character is, like, so, like, just crazy. Like, it's just, like, watching him, um, it's, like, it's James Franco, but you just never, like, because he's got, like, his cornrows and, like, all this stuff, and, like, I didn't recognize him the first time he shows up on screen. Um, I heard a few people in the theater sort of laughing, and I was, like, oh, we're just laughing at, like, whatever, sort of, like, the context of what that scene was. And then later on, when you start to, like, recognize him, I was just like, oh, wow, this is, like, James Franco. I didn't know he was in this movie. Like, this is, and it just, like, kept going more and more and more. Um, his character. And it was just, like, really, really well done. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean, just... Now you really make me want to yeah. go, go check this out. I might, this might have to be... We might have to revisit this film sort of next week and just kind of touch up upon it. Because it'll, it'll also go wide, so we can kind yeah. of... Maybe uh, just kind of mention it next week, but I'm I'm not curious, you know, to, and uh, it's, seeing as as how highly you're regarding. And it. it's one of those things where like you see these like younger people and the whole spring break aspect of it, and sort of like you know like painful scenes where there are consequences and serious consequences, and you do kind of get this like aspect of this is youth culture. And one of, one of the reviews I was reading so. Totally, I don't know if this is something that sort of like I retroactively was putting onto it, but like it was just like the status, like this movie does a really, really awesome job of like showing you like this is the status of what people who are like 17, 16, 17, 18, 19 are. Like it's like they're these people who want to all of a sudden jump to this level of fame and success and all these things without working for it. Like it's sort of the, um, but I made this point sort of onto myself um, years ago with American Idol, where it's just like everyone used to think, oh, okay, like let me be in the band, let me work this band, let's do gigs, and the gigs will do this, and then we'll get a deal, and we'll do whatever. 
But now, I don't think anyone thinks that way anymore. We do because we remember before that day. But now it's like the kids come up and they're just like, oh, okay, cool. I just have to be on American Idol or The Voice or uh, X Factor or whatever else, and then I'll blow up and I'll be fine. Like, no one wants to, like, put the time in. No one wants to earn things anymore. And this movie oh, really does. Yeah, you sound like an old man of course I do. about of the course. damn kids of nowadays. <laughs> but that's uh, the, you know, and it's like, and that's sort of what this movie sort of paints, where it's just like, yeah, you do have, like, these girls who, you know, uh, there is the one who's very pious, um, kind of in the beginning, and just the way that, like, you know, that whole aspect is handled. Uh, just like other characters to varying shades of what will I tolerate, what will I risk kind of thing. Um, and just the aspect of being young and being like, I'm invincible, like nothing can touch me. Like there are like things in this movie where you're like, oh yeah, I probably would have done that like when I was like 10 years ago. And now you're just like, ah, I don't know if my health insurance covers that. Like what if something happens? Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a really, really just like awesome, uh, kind of like experience movie um i i the one caveat i will say is not that i've seen a lot of movies like this to be able to kind of be like oh if you're used to like in the way that you know um if you're used to watching a lot of foreign films with subtitles you can go into something and then kind of watch it and like get the full experience uh without having to watch it two or three times um but this is a movie that i will say does have narrative like I want to say narrative echoes. It's a very literary thing to say, um, but just like it's it's it it it's almost the same thing that happens with Terrence Malick movies, but much much more reined in. Where it's like you will be able to follow point A to point B to point C, but there are like things that are happening. So there's kind of like experimental steps yeah. kind of throughout yeah. it, like like stuff that we're not used to. In, yeah. In, there are yeah, things that you're not going to see in every movie, and you will absolutely question whether or not the end of this movie happened. <clears throat> but, I don't know, it's just, you know, it's it's one of those things where I remember... You mean, uh, like, does the totem fall over a space? Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. Um, and there is, there is, and it's because, again, like, the, a lot of the sound design stuff, um, a lot of the conversations that happened earlier in the movie, uh, Pete Pretzels. Yeah, well, you know. They're making me thirsty. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a lot of the conversations that happen earlier in the movie start to happen towards the end of the movie. Just all that kind of stuff. Like, it's not like one of those things where you'll have, like, giant doubts where you're kind of like, oh, it's interesting. Like, would that really happen kind of thing? Um, there's, like, one logic issue that I had where I was just like, well, but it was just, you know, it's just handled handled really, really well. Um, and this is the first movie I've seen in a really long time. And this probably is because I haven't seen, didn't know what the movie was about. I was watching uh, what I was going into, the trailers and all that stuff. I, like, genuinely, from moment to moment, had no idea where this movie was going. Well, I mean, uh, even, even I guess, if you'd seen some of it, like, you yeah. still kind of, like, all I know is that these girls get involved with, they're, they're on spring break and they get involved with this drug dealer. That's all the story that I know. Yeah. And it's just, like... But it was just like, oh, okay, here's these girls, and they're on spring break, and why should I care? Because this is privilege and blah, blah, and it's like, oh, this happens, and this happens, but, yeah, it's a really, really, uh, if, if, you know, New York, obviously, I think it's on three screens right now, as you said, uh, it's probably gonna go wide, um, I would presume, A, because it made tons of money, um, with respect to three screens, uh, the James Franco marquee, I would, I would probably say it went limited, um, 
very, very specifically because of Oz coming up that same weekend. And, you know, for the average audience member, they probably just don't want to mix brands kind of thing. Um, so as Oz, quote-unquote, dies down, which it might not because it's the only thing that's coming for a while, um, this will probably go well, wide. Olympus uh, is falling. It's coming up next yeah. week. Uh, <laughs> finally. Uh, but yeah, Spring Breakers... Uh, if you can get to this movie, I recommended it to someone the other day who was looking for, uh, they were like, What's, what are the good movies you've seen lately? And I was like, Stoker and Spring Breakers. So, yeah. Well, cool, cool, cool. I'm glad to hear uh, that, you know, that this is kind of uh, done really well, and I'm kind of curious now to check it out. You might actually have won me over to go see this uh <laughs> Outside of our kind of normal stuff. Yeah, I got my uh, my AMC reward, so I probably will go back and uh-huh. Cool. So, um, out of the three films that you saw this week, Brandon, uh, <laughs> which one, in case people, it wasn't obvious to the people, which one is the last film standing? So, if you live Stand. in New York, stand. L.A., wherever the third theater might be, uh, hands down, five out of five, go watch Spring Breakers, like, period. You need to watch this movie, uh, you know, for the sake of the cinema and all the grand pretentious things that you can say, and then narrowly just to, like, watch a movie that is very, very different, which is very, very solid. Um, Unfortunately, if you live anywhere else where you don't get to watch movies uh, at your local art house and such, uh, if it's between the call and kind of a work on your stone, I would actually say the call. Um, I, again, it's a pretty tight thriller. Uh, the suspense aspect of it will have you kind of tensed up uh, once it gets outside of the call center and kind of lean back in your seat a bit. Um, but other than that, it is cool. The Incredible Bird Wonderstone, I thought was good, uh, but you know, as you've heard Z and I talk before, and if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, we have a very high standard for comedy because comedy really hasn't been good for the last two years. Um, every comedy we've seen has been loosely entertaining, with maybe one or two laughs that usually were spoiled in the trailer. Um, the Incredible Bird Wonderstone, I would say, was entertaining throughout. Uh, there are a couple of times where you know you did kind of chuckle out loud, kind of thing. Um, but ultimately, I think unless you're a fan of one of the cast members, uh, there's nothing that you'll particularly remember. Well, um, I mean, as I said, I mentioned earlier, since I only got a chance to see that one film this week, that was the one that I chose to see. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel bad about seeing it. Uh, definitely don't feel like I wasted uh, time or money. I was entertained. Uh, it was a fun movie. Um, I don't know that I'll quote anything from this movie, uh, more or less. Uh, but uh, but overall, it's it's uh, it's an entertaining enough movie and uh, worth, especially if you're kind of, uh, as you said, a fan of one of the actors. Um, you know, it was uh, really cool. So, if you're a fan of Olivia Wilde, watch Butter, which I believe is now on Netflix. Yes, yeah. Butter is such a fantastic movie. <laughs> I mean, I did, uh, did I, I reviewed that right so, uh, yeah. when it came out, yeah. and uh, you know, just Olivia Wilde, and also, I mean, 
Jennifer Garner is yeah. really good in that movie too. So it's just a really fun movie. So then, that brings us to plugs of the week. Zed, anything worth? Ooh, um, I don't know. Really, I haven't really had a chance to catch too much this week. Um, um, for the little bit of a uh, free time that I had, I didn't really spend too much uh, looking around. Um, well, I guess maybe that um, the Batman um, thing that I found on video, just a second to um, look it up what it's uh, actually called. Batman Chapter One. Help me. Um, <laughs> that's the that's the title of the of the short video. I'm assuming this is sort of like a little series because it feels like it's kind of like one little uh, moment. It's an animated kind of Batman thing, kind of funny animated. Um, it, it's really cool. Uh, I came across it on Vimeo and it was really um, intriguing. Um, also, Wide Web World uh, is kind of a cool video. Um, once you watch it, especially then you kind of, uh, once you see how it was made, it was really intriguing. So um, if you use Vimeo or if you don't, you should probably check it out. It's, it's got some really cool stuff on it. Um, but um, yeah, those are a couple of videos that I would sort of on the web check out but otherwise I'm still slowly working through uh, the TV shows that I'm uh, working through like um, Star Trek The Next Generation and Frasier and that kind of stuff <laughs> playing Bioshock 2 enjoying it now more and more it'll be interesting to because uh, I, I, I will probably come up behind you with Frasier but it probably won't be until like the summer because I'm still like I'm like you're doing Cheers, five right? Cheers, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of like, uh, I've watched a lot of episodes of Cheers sort of, um, you know, throughout the yeah. time. So I, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I, 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 I saw a few episodes of Frasier. I probably saw a lot less of that than I did of Cheers in general. So I was like, let me check out that show. Yeah. It's crazy so much. And I think that's like Considering that I studied psychology, <laughs> there's that connection. I think that's, that's I, you know, we've talked a little bit briefly about Cheers, just about how I don't think they'd, they'd make a show like that, at least with these sort of comedic tones and the way that the show is sort of lighthearted, with, you know, occasional, you know, hard stuff in it, but it's just all the characters in that show write themselves. Like, they're so, like, ridiculously well-defined, and it happened, like, I noticed that, like, season two, three, even, like, even when, like, they kind of transitioned from Coach to Woody Harrelson, like, it's, like... All those characters, like Shelley Long and Woody Harrelson and Ted Danson and like just you know Cliff Clavin, um, the other actor's name and like Norm, like all those people have like such specific like you know exactly what they, they would say, you know exactly how they react in every situation. And you're like looking forward to it, like uh, Ray Sometimes you wanna go wherever yeah. I sing that. I sing that every time name. it comes on. It's like one of the few dun, times dun, you know fast dun, forward dun. to the uh, the opening yeah. credits, but. Um, yeah, it's really just a fun show. Uh, the only thing that's new that I really add, um, if you uh, look up Let the Beat Drop 
type it into the YouTube search, and uh, yes. the one you're looking for, uh, it's Life According to Jimmy, is the uh, the channel. I watched a couple things on there. Um, they're okay. Like, it's kind of like one of those just typical YouTube channels, but this thing in particular I stumbled across uh, the last couple of days. It very entertaining. Yeah, it was really funny. People, I saw it, it was yeah. kind of funny, but... <laughs> <laughs> People at work were, like, still watching it today. They were just like... Because we were just, like, saying, like... Like, one of the, like, when I sent it around the first time, I was like, that moment when you think you have a good idea, and then someone else finishes it, like, it's like, it's just a cool, like, it's it's, it's really cool. It's 30 seconds long, uh, and it has a little bit of nuance stuff. If you watch it a couple more times, and watch certain people's faces, <laughs> it's really, really well done. Um, but yeah, outside of that, uh, I think we went over a lot of the new trailers that we saw last week. Well, I don't think there was anything particularly new trailer-wise this week. Uh, no, uh, probably, yeah. but nothing like that. Kind of, um, so, uh, out of uh, like so, so for next week, uh, what are you thinking of checking out? So, because because we got the the three big releases are the admission, uh, the Crudes, and Olympus has fallen. Yeah, I mean Olympus has fallen. I've been looking forward to the Crudes and admissions are both movies where I'm gonna let out a collective sigh as I buy my ticket. Um, just because it's like it's one of those where it's like the admission or admissions. I know like what that movie is without going to see it, mainly because of the cast kind of thing. Uh, the Crudes. I really haven't. I'm usually a big fan of animated movies, but I feel like Brave for some reason shook my inner child. Where I was just kind of like went to see Brave and thought it was okay, and since then I just haven't really felt compelled to go watch animated movies. Like that was one. Oh, par- Paranorman. Yeah, Come I on. mean... Paranorman, like... I would say that rode in on the... It's different because it's stop motion, but at the same time, we didn't... Well, you saw Frank and Weenie, didn't you? No, actually. Yeah, didn't. so we both, I think, skipped Frank and Weenie. But that, that's partly because we're kind of like, okay, we, we've seen sort of the work of Tim Burton so many times that both of us are kind of like, okay, we're not big fans of sort of his... Um, his sort of style and everything is kind of okay, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's, it's, um, uh, and then beyond that, not out this weekend, um, but for those of you who've seen the movie Primer, um, I keep, I actually had to make myself a uh, reminder so that I wouldn't um, forget because it's probably going to be out in New York when they release and then it'll disappear. So I don't imagine it's going to go wide and make a lot of money. Uh, it's called Upstream Color. It comes out in three weeks, I think. Um, but it's, uh, I'm forgetting his name now, but the guy who wrote and directed Primer, which if you know what that is, you know why that's a special movie. And if you don't know what that is, you should watch it. Uh, is it on Netflix, do you know? Or it no? was. I mean, it might, it's probably still is. I know that's how I saw it originally. Um, but uh, Primer is basically just like a low-budget, extremely well-written um, sort of time travel movie, but not in the sense of a, I would say it's more looper, uh, but like low-budget looper than a uh, big-budget, you know, time travel type thing. Um, and this is a follow-up movie, um, which I've kind of been really looking forward to. It's almost 10 years after the fact, I think. Uh, I want to say he made a movie actually right after Primer, when I'm saying that out loud. Um, that kind of like came with it, but this is sort of his big return type of thing. Um, but yeah, beyond that, uh, I need to check to see if Iron Man tickets were on sale, which I assume they had been. I also need to make sure that Man of Steel I have against that one. 
Primer looks to be uh, on streaming on Netflix and on Hulu also. So. Yeah, I've gotten to the point now where uh, I bing it via Xbox and most of the time. There have been a couple of movies that I needed to research for some stuff I'm writing that I'm just like, I have to go buy this. Yeah. Bing it. Yeah, where I'm like, do I have to go buy this movie? I was like, yeah, because I'm like, well, um, I, yeah. I, you know, I have, um, I, I'm assuming usually that are on Windows are usually available for iOS and Android but yeah. check out an app called Can I Stream It? Um, otherwise you can just look it up online I am assuming uh, but um, I think they have a web portal also but um, I use that on my phone and um, and it gives me basically like all the different places where I can rent yeah, it how, uh, watch it yeah. like all that stuff and if it's available uh, you can also set like reminders um, where like if it becomes you can, you know, if it's not available on Netflix, you can set a reminder so that if it becomes available, it will, it will notify yeah. you and things like that. So it's kind of a cool little site that gives you all the options, and that's also uh, with DVDs also. Yes, I know that's how the Bing thing works too. Like it'll kind of just be like where can you watch it if you could watch it on Xbox and it actually searches all the apps and all that stuff. It doesn't do discs, um, but it is kind of cool to just be like, oh, okay, because then you can compare prices where it's like, oh, I can rent it on Voodoo for two ninety nine, or I can rent it on Xbox for one ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. Which is cool. That's the most part of it, but um, yeah. So, in so, case you don't have the Xbox, yes. can I stream it? <laughs> the answer Bing yes. or Google, can I stream it? Yes. And we're fine. We need to figure out what the next word would be. So listeners, Quaggle. Quaggle? That's what you should do. Tell your friends that they can find Last Home Standing on iTunes via the web and iTunes itself, as well as Stitcher.com via their website or various mobile apps where you can subscribe, rate, and review us. And then once again, you can follow myself on Twitter at Lamar Diavo. That's L-E-M-A-R Diavo, one word. You can follow Zed on Twitter at Last Z Standing. And if you have seen any of the aforementioned movies or uh, would like to talk to us about anything that we have touched upon, uh, hit either of us up on Twitter, but you can also hit us up the new old-fashioned way at feedback at lastfilmstanding.com. Listeners, it's 115 episodes. Thanks, as always, for listening. And if you're wondering if a certain catchphrase will be said, if you think... It's already done. So tell your friends! Well, it's already done if they're listening to it afterwards. Exactly. Huh? Exactly. Because they told our friends! Time.